0: Okay. Uh, you know we're studying in the book of Mark. You can be opening up your bibles to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 4. And by the way, did you hear about the um did you hear about the gummy bear that was missing a leg? He lost it in nom. <laughs> Think about it. Nom nom nom. He lost it in nom. I can't believe I had to tell you that one. Come on. All right. <clears throat> Jolene thought it was funny when I told her. So. All right, oh, Mark chapter 4, verse uh, 30. We're going to begin there. says, Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? I get the picture. He's using a parable to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, you've got to remember the disciples are hearing these things. The public is being taught in parables. We've already been talking about that because they're not ready to fully understand what he's talking about they're not quite there yet and so he speaks in parables he speaks in pictures i mean literally he says picture the kingdom of god and you know they're, they're thinking well, what's he talking about you know he's been talking about this kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god right and he's using parables to describe it and he goes on and he says it's like a mustard seed which when it is sown in the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth but when it is sown it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches, so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So last week we were talking about a previous parable they did, the parable of the growing seed, right, which is caused by the word, and it's something that we see as, as an example of the kingdom, or example of the growth of the kingdom, right, and he was talking about the fact that it's, it's not seeable, it's not uh, perceivable, it's imperceptible, it's it's independent right it's something that we can't see you know we plant the seed and we can see the growth you know it's gradual you know, first have the sprouts and then the stem and then the flower or the head of the, of the plant but we don't really see what's going on there right and that's what he's talking about that growth is a mystery that growth is something that we can't see on our own and then he's going to describe something a little more here about that kingdom that talks about that remarkable growth. <clears throat> well, first of all, what are we talking about here? What, what is a mustard seed, right? Mustard plant is well known, of course, for having hot flavored seeds. I don't know that I've ever actually eaten a mustard seed. I probably have. I eat mustard on my hot dogs. I guess that comes from a mustard seed, right? But it's a very small seed, perhaps the smallest of all the seeds, right? And when it's planted, it grows from that very tiny seed to a, pl- a tree or a plant that could be 10 to 15 feet in height and it grows tremendous branches and in the fall of the year those branches become kind of rigid so all the birds can nest in there and take refuge in that tree and those branches so it's interesting how that works out how that grows how that becomes this great uh, plant this great tree from a very tiny seed he's using this to describe anything that's very small in the beginning but grows tremendously over time you remember another time when he used the mustard seed as an example Matthew 17 when he said if your faith is just like a mustard seed you could say to that mountain move over here and it would be moved remember that that's an awesome statement right the faith of a mustard well I, I, surely I've got the faith of a mustard seed right I believe yeah never been able to move a mountain so that's a tremendous thought. That's a weird thing to say, even, isn't it? It's odd. But what he's saying is this kingdom has a small beginning. This kingdom that he's talking about is going to grow, and it's going to become tremendous. If you will, turn over to Daniel chapter 2, and let's read a minute about that. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2. And this is during uh, the time of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he has a dream, remember, of the statue and he doesn't know what it's all about and the statue has different parts that are made of different materials clay iron gold silver and in daniel 2 verse 30 um, 35 uh, daniel is interpreting the dream and then at toward the end of this of his statement as he's telling nebuchadnezzar what it's all about he says in verse 35 then the iron the clay the bronze the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried the wind carried them away, so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And what Daniel's talking about here is the great kingdom of God. In other words, the statue, the different pieces of the statue represented the great kingdoms, the great empires that were had been and were to come, you know, Greece, Rome. But there was a stone that was thrown against the statue and destroyed it broke it all up the wind blew it away and that stone became a great kingdom that's going to that lasted and is going to last forever and he's talking about the kingdom of God so this is something that he's describing he's also talking about Jesus who's gonna come and begin that kingdom talking about himself in fact you might even think about the description of the beginning of this kingdom as being the son of man who grew up in a, in a despised province a place that many people thought nothing good could come out of, right, Nazareth. He did not appear in public until he was 30 years old. And then taught for two or three years in the neighboring villages around, uh, around Nazareth and occasionally in Jerusalem. Made a few converts, <coughs> chiefly among the poor and the uneducated, or the unlearned, right? And then falling into the hands of his enemies, he died a shameful death on the cross. Such and so slight was the commencement of this universal kingdom of God. The stone that Daniel described in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. What a wonderful thing to think about, right? This kingdom has come from mustard seed. This kingdom that's gonna last forever has come from mustard seed. Its tremendous growth came from an humble beginning. That's what we're referring to. That's what Jesus is describing here. And think about that kingdom a minute, right? So here he has his 12, the, the 12 disciples. Uh, that are in his inner circle, you might say, close to him, that he's teaching closely. Then you have the other disciples that are following, not as close as the twelve, but they're hearing his teaching. And of course, we talked about the multitude uh, last week, you know, that's kind of out there saying, we're hearing all this stuff, trying to figure out what's going on, but we're kind of staying off from it. We don't want to get too close, you know, and and see what's going on. People are hearing about this. And then, after he dies and ascends, the Holy Spirit is sent, and you remember what happens after that? We've got just a few disciples that start preaching. And remember on the very first day, Acts 2, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Then you go into Acts 4, they're still preaching, then there's about 5,000. Next thing you know, there's another few thousand. It starts to grow. It starts to multiply, right? And in fact, turn over to Acts chapter 9. Let's read something from there. Acts chapter 9, <clears throat> and verse 31. This is a description of what's happening. This says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. You see, that preaching spread out. Next thing you know, all the region of what we might call Israel or Palestine today, I don't know, knew about Jesus. That it started just as a mustard seed. That one little bitty seed that was planted is beginning to grow, right? It's beginning to spread out. In fact, the kingdom of God is certainly going to do that and did it, and it spread out through all the earth. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, we live, how far do we live from? Israel. It's on the other side of the world, right? You ever look at the globe? I guess it'd take you, I don't know how long it'd take you to fly over there. Pilots in here, 15, 20 hours, something like that to fly over there. I don't know. You couldn't probably do it. Well, I guess the day could do a direct flight. But it takes a long time, right? Yet, we know all about Jesus who lived there, right? And it was 2,000 years ago even. We still hear about him. That kingdom has grown, hasn't it? It's been here 2,000 years and it's going to last another Millennium and millenniums after that Wonderful point, right? It also as we talked about the growth of that plant and the branches that come out We can find refuge in those branches just like I guess it's a mustard tree or bush, right? Just like all the birds can come around nest in it find rest to those seeking rest for weary souls the king offers tender a tender invitation to come to him those who are seeking the kingdom well <clears throat> is it really true that all the earth can hear this that all can hear about Jesus well going by the parable yes and it's simply by the Word of God we talked about that last week the growing word the growth of the church comes from the word we don't see how it happens we just plant the seed right <clears throat> we have the seed of the kingdom that Word of God it's incorruptible and it abides forever just a comment about how that can be done it's possible to mathematically do it if you just took 20 people and this year each one of those 20 people converted one person uh, and then each one of those people converted one person a year in 25 years you would have converted 1.3 billion people I mean, so you can see how that growth spread out, right? <clears throat> That's what he's talking about here. This is the kingdom that starts as a little bitty seed and grows tremendously. But to do that, we've got to have what? Well, like the parable of the four soils, we've got to have people who have good and noble hearts, who are rooted in the good soil, right? Who have grown and matured. Who no longer need the milk who are willing to go out and preach the gospel who are willing to tell others about what they know and the truth right that's not that easy though is it because there's things that can happen when you do that you can be rejected you can be told to go jump in a lake right you can be thrown in jail you might, uh, you might lose a job. Hmm. You might even get killed. It happens. But the point being is, this kingdom of God is a wonderful, great thing, and it's going to last forever. And when you have your heart and your mind set on the kingdom, those things really shouldn't matter. Because if you're abiding in Christ, you're obeying his commands doing his will he promises you to have an abundant life even though you may be like Paul who was beaten with rods what is it 40 stripes minus one shipwrecked thrown in prison I mean it was all done to him and he continued on he never wavered from preaching the gospel why because he knew what he had coming he knew that the God of the universe was gonna provide him a mansion know I'm preaching a little bit but it's very true it's just hard to get our minds around that right we have to have faith of a mustard seed to do these things even that kingdom that's gonna grow we grow with it right our faith has to grow in that kingdom so much so that we'd be willing to die because we know where we're going. We know about the promise and the reward, just like Paul and the apostles. What a wonderful thing to think about, right? He's preaching and teaching in these parables, and people are kind of wondering what he's talking about, but let's read on there a little bit in verse... i uh, going back to Mark there. Verse uh, 33, he says... And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Remember? They're not able to hear it yet. Not all of them. That's why he's doing this. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Oh, okay. That's a very interesting verse. When we read that, we probably don't even notice it, right? Because we're focused on the parable, maybe. Here we have Jesus preaching and teaching with parables to the public but in private he's explaining these things to his disciples he's explaining further what the meaning is why well because these disciples are going to be the ones going out and continuing after he's gone and he knows this right he preached in the synagogues we saw that in the first chapter mark he taught large crowds by the seashore we saw that in chapter 2 But he also teaches in private, especially regarding these parables. What can we glean from that, right? What is private teaching, right? Teaching in a private setting, teaching where people are informal, maybe just a small gathering. I don't know if you would call this teaching in private. I guess if you consider all the world, you could say this is teaching in private. But usually teaching in private tends more to an interaction, right? And in a, in a assembly hall or you know, auditorium, it's hard to have an interaction. Maybe more in a classroom, it's easier. But it's hard to do that. And yes, I don't want to stop you from doing that, of course. But you know, it is, it is a little bit different. But in private teaching, you can ask questions, right? In private teaching, if you don't understand something, you can try to get the answers. You can try to get a better understanding. You can grow. We have examples of this all through the scripture. Remember Jesus and, and Nicodemus? John three, Nicodemus was asking him about what he was talking about with the being born again in the water and the spirit, with the water and the spirit, right? Jesus and the Samaritan woman, remember that in Acts chapter eight. I mean Acts chapter. I'm sorry, John four. Philip is having a private lesson with the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that in Acts chapter eight. Peter, how about Peter in the household of Cornelius? That was a private setting. They were devout people. Cornelius's family were giving alms and praying to god but they didn't understand the gospel didn't know about it yet had to be preached to them aquila and priscilla and apollos remember that they were preaching the baptism of john so they had to be taught better right had to be a private teaching to understand what really needed to be done there and of course paul taught in his home he included his own taught in homes he included his own we can read about that in acts 20 So there's a lot of examples of private teaching, and this is a good thing. Jesus is able to talk to his disciples to help them to understand what he's talking about, to have that private teaching that they will be able to use when they go out into all the world. It's a good thing, right, to be able to do this. It's something when we're having a discussion with someone, we need to understand. People need to have a personal reaction or personal interaction. Personal reaction too. It's not as easy in a public setting because you can't ask questions. It's hard to do that. Uh, a preacher gets up on a Sunday morning and he preaches. Don't have people interacting with him. I, I, actually, that happened one time here a few years ago. Some of y'all may remember that. Uh, when Scott was there, he was asked a question in the middle of sermon. First time I'd ever seen that. The last time I've ever seen it. But you can't really do that in a public setting, right? And that's what makes the private teaching. So useful. Some people feel intimidated, obviously. Remember when you were in school? Some of you might not understand what he's talking about on the board, but by George, you sure weren't going to ask him and look even dumber, right? Yeah, you get intimidated, don't you? It can be intimidating to ask somebody when you don't understand something. You feel like an idiot, a fool, and you sure hope nobody else is going to think that of you, right? So, what happens? You end up just sitting there and trying to figure it out on your own. Interesting concept, right? That private setting can really be a wonderful thing. You know, you have today, you have successful people who have a mentor. Some of you in your jobs have had somebody that you were able to go to, right? To talk about what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? How do I interact in this company? Or how do I move up in this company, right? L- Olympic athletes, they all have coaches, right? I always thought that was the weirdest thing. You know, Olympic athletes are supposed to be the pinnacle of their training right that's like and yet they still need somebody to tell them what they're doing wrong interesting isn't it or somebody who's really into fitness they'll have a private trainer sometimes to help them do that right we need that private interaction and it's something that we need to consider if we don't understand something there's nothing wrong with coming and asking somebody about something uh, and trying to figure it out sometimes maybe it just means you need to pray Pray about it God's gonna help you figure that out he's gonna do it he's promised that all right well moving on the uh, beginning in verse 35 we're gonna switch gears a little bit and now see more what Jesus does outside of uh, parables and teaching in verse 35 there he says on the same day when evening had come he said to them let us cross over to the other side and that when they had left the multitude they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care why do you, that we are perishing? <clears throat> then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? There we have that faith thing again, right? Jesus and disciples get in a boat, sail across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. One storm pops up, beating waves so heavily that they're coming into the boat. Jesus is asleep. It's not bothering him. Has anybody here ever slept through a hurricane? has anybody in here ever slept through a windstorm a thunderstorm yeah I, I have a few times i've been woke up a few times too jesus is asleep disciples are all scared to death they wake him up once he does he rebukes the wind and calms the seas and then he uses that as an opportunity to rebuke the disciples because of their lack of faith interesting right He's saying, if you have faith, not only can you move a mountain, you can calm the storm. What a concept. That's the old story that we hear when we're in kindergarten, right? About Jesus calming the sea, right? We even have a song about it. What is it? The Master of the Tempest of It's a Beautiful song. Faith of a mustard seed. Faith that will move mountains, calm the storm. We face storms all the time don't we I'm not talking about just a physical storm we're human beings we have issues don't have to tell you that right health issues financial issues family problems stuff happens don't it in fact many have said you know life is just about going from one problem to the next and, and you could say that right especially for a lot of folks It's not anything that's guaranteed, but it's, well, I guess it is pretty much guaranteed. You're going to have problems in this life. Being Jesus' disciples didn't protect them from the storm either. We live in a world where there are many storms. We, We have to experience literal tornadoes, problems in our lives. And Paul certainly experienced that, which we talked about. Yet, he was able to persevere. Interesting concept, right? Turn over to John chapter 16. Let's see what Jesus says about problems and storms. <clears throat> Verse 31 of John 16. Jesus answered them, do you, know, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and you'll leave me alone and yet I am not alone because the father is with me these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world what's the point we're making here Jesus doesn't promise us health and wealth we're not promised to have a great life here on the earth but we are promised that He will be with us and that He has overcome death. He's overcome the world. That's where your faith comes in. That's where your prayer life comes in. That's where your life of service comes in. Because at the end, what really matters what you did other than what you did in service to the Lord? Is it going to matter? that you had that million-dollar sale on your deathbed? Is it gonna matter that you bought that 500 million dollar estate because you got some money and an inheritance? No, can't take that with you. Is it gonna matter that you became the CEO of your corporation? No, all that's gonna matter is whether you remain faithful. the Lord. The apostles were all persecuted. All of them but one supposedly died a martyr's death. We don't know that for sure, but tradition says so. And during the storms, of course, we have trouble. We are afraid, right? We can have a situation where we just become so Panic stricken, so frozen, we can't do anything. Faith through God is what protects us, right? Through His Word, you say. Well, what do you mean by that, man? I, I just was told I got cancer. They're not giving me a good prognosis, right? What do I do now? Turn over to Matthew chapter six. beginning in verse uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. This is the Lord speaking. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. I surely say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly believe that I'm having trouble man I may not make it through this go to your room and pray simple thing turn over to verse 19 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also just talked about that what's first in your life where's your treasure is it in your car is it your job is that what you put first is it even your family and yes you need to put your family first but not before the kingdom oh yeah that can be done I'm telling you it happens Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Turn over to verse 31. What else is he talking about there? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. (laughs) For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, we'll worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Whoa, that, that's a tough one there. <laughs> Especially you men that are trying to provide for a family or women too. Do you have enough faith where you could trust God to feed you because you don't have enough money in the bank to go down and buy some food? I don't expect anybody in here is in that situation, but I don't know, maybe, or maybe you have in the past. I don't know that I've ever had to struggle that way. I can remember those times when I was worried about something, maybe not financially, maybe something else, about a job or something going on in my family, and it always seemed to work out. Now, maybe that's just the way it was. Maybe it just worked out. Or maybe that had something to do with praying about it. Maybe that had something to do with having faith that God was going to take care of it. There's that faith thing again. Putting him first, believing that he will take care of you. Do you do that? When When you're in dire straits, that's not so easy, is it? Going to chapter 7 there, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Yeah, I know, this is a song we sing when we're little, DBS, right? But Jesus saying this to talk about when your foundation is in the Lord nothing can overcome you faith it's that faith thing again you have such great faith that you know no wind nor rain nor hail nor tornadoes hurricanes or whatever health reason can overcome you because you are child of the great God not only that, there's going to be a trial we all got to go through. The day of judgment, right? That's going to be the biggest one of all. We're all going to have to be there. It's going to happen. That's very true to Scripture. day in which we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But yet, God has provided a way around that, right? Send his son, shed his blood for those who believe on him. Obey the gospel, we can have our names added to his book of life. Is your name in the book of life? Might want to think about that. All right, moving on. Let's go back to chapter 5 of Mark. See what happens next. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Man. You ever seen that in a horror movie? I mean, this sounds like the worst horror movie you've ever seen. But then he goes and worships Jesus. What? And he cried out with a loud voice and says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains so all the demons begged him saying send us to the swine that we may enter them and at once Jesus gave them permission then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine there were about two thousand and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea so those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see where it was that had happened, and then they came to Jesus, and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, and clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw, and those who saw it, told him, told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got in the boat, he had been demon-possessed, begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus is not permitting. But said to him, "Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how He has had compassion on you." And he departed and began to proclaim to Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marvelled. <clears throat> Man, when I read this passage, it just blows my mind to think about. I mean, if I saw something like that, it probably would give me a heart attack. I would imagine in real life, you know, you see stuff like that in the movies, but never in real life. Come on. <clears throat> this is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's called the Gadarenes, the Gershesenes, or the it, it was There were several cities in that region. That's why it's called the Decapolis, actually, because they're an area of district of ten cities. Uh, after taming the sea jesus tames a wild man man possessed with an unclean spirit unable to even be bound by chains i can't imagine but then the demons worship jesus it's not just one it's a legion it's a huge amount of demons that are worshiping jesus they know who he is and they beg not to be tormented So they asked to be thrown into the swine, which Jesus allows, and then they just proceed to drown the pigs. Swine feeders don't like it because they've taken their livelihood, right? They go and tell others who ask Jesus to leave. Ask him to leave after this because he's disrupting things, causing problems. These demons beg Jesus not to torment them. Were they afraid of him? Yeah. Yes, they were afraid of him. Just like the unclean spirit in the synagogue. Remember that? The man that was demon-possessed in Mark chapter 1? He knew who Jesus was. Remember? Turn over to John, uh, 1 John chapter 3. I want to read something that's kind of interesting when you think about it. 1 John chapter 3. John writes in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of god that's some pretty powerful verses right there what's he saying if you're born of god you won't sin if you continue to sin that means you're born of the devil jesus came to destroy the work of the devil remember what happened in the garden he was deceived by whom the devil form the serpent prophecy goes on to says he will bruise his heel but he will destroy his head sin comes into the world through Adam deceived by the devil the works of the devil is taken out by the Son of Man the Son of God through his sacrifice on the cross really that's it right that is really it Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil to provide us an opportunity to get by it this man had no chance he had no hope right whatever that was like I can't imagine but he was devastated cutting himself and crazy stuff should demons be afraid well yeah Matthew 8 talks about they knew their time is coming, right? They know that they're not going to be around for long. We know about the everlasting fire that's prepared for those devils and his angels. We read that in Matthew 25. And even now, in 2 Peter, Peter talks about evil angels who are bound by the chains of darkness. We should be afraid if we're not ready, just like the legion. If we're not ready to meet the Lord, that should be a problem for us. What about the people that lived in that region? Were they afraid of him? Well, yeah, but not justifiably so. They came to Jesus and saw that he'd healed a demoniac and they said, you gotta leave. Completely destroying any blessings they might have received from him, right? Completely losing out on the chance to hear his teaching completely losing out on the possibility to believe on the son of man the son of God what about the demoniac the man was he was he afraid he was living a life like I can't imagine but after he was healed he wanted to be with Jesus and Jesus says no he had compassion on him but he said go and tell the others what I did there's that great name going out into all the world. People trying to hear want to know what's going on. And of course, we should not be afraid either, right? We know that he loved us and saved us and forgives us from our sins. If we're repentant of our sins, if we're willing to obey, if we're willing to learn, listen to him, not shut him out, we can be truly blessed the end if John says there were many more things that Jesus did that have not been written here these have been written that you may have an abundant life if you're having trouble maybe you need to get on your knees if you're having trouble maybe you need to be getting busy with the work of the Lord doing something in the kingdom besides doing something out there that you ought not be doing maybe you need to be putting a little less time at the office and a little more time with the church with your true family remember we talked about that last week point being you need to have a great faith just like a mustard seed faith in a mustard seed you can move a mountain I mean we can't fathom that But it's a pretty awesome statement to say, right? You got it all right here. You just got to believe. And if you haven't made that commitment yet, I know it's just class time. Today's as good a day as any. All right. Time is up. Thanks for being here.